Welcome. You are listening to a special episode of TLR's podcast. In this series, we are talking to the reviewers who brought you TLR's 55 most reread books. Each episode breaks down the list into specific favorites for that reviewer. You can find more reviews and best of lists on thelesbianreview.com. Today, I'm joined by Heather Rose Jones, author extraordinaire and reviewer part-time at TLR. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted. Okay, so let's talk about rereading books. It's such an interesting phenomenon for me because I can't quite pinpoint why I keep returning to certain books. So what is it for you that keeps you coming back? For me, and I had I had this panic attack when asked to say, well, what are my favorite rereads with lesbian characters? Because I'm not sure that I have actually reread that many of them yet. But for me, a reread is a book where it's, it's the ritual of experiencing the story. So it's not discovering the story, but it's, it's like going on a roller coaster ride that you go on all the time and you know every single curve and every single drop and everything, as opposed to going on a roller coaster ride where it's your first time on that particular piece of equipment and you have no idea what's going to happen. So I want a reread to be I want it to be something that makes me feel a particular thing I want to feel. Now, maybe maybe that's a feel-good thing. Maybe it's the catharsis of seeing a character go through awful things and then, uh, you know, come out happy and triumphant at the end. And, and that's an interesting point because the book that I have reread most frequently across my life, it's it's my ritual comfort read, is uh, Frances Hodgson Burnett's A Little Princess, which might seem like a bit of an odd book for me to pick. But the the moral arc, the, the plot structure of that book is a girl who is, she's a, a, a nice person. She's a, she's a nice person, but she's highly privileged. She has a loving father. She has more money than she knows what to do with. Everything has always come easily to her. And then it all falls apart. And then her father loses all of his money and he dies and she's turned from a privileged, um, you know, boarding school girl into a servant. Um, and she goes through awful times and through it all, she relearns how to be a good person and she continues being a good person for other people and struggling with, with her own reactions and experiences and then in the end of the book, because this is fiction, she is rewarded by finding a, a new surrogate father figure. And it turns out that all of her father's money wasn't lost after all. And she is, again, even more rich than she was before. And now she can turn around and do nice things for her friends who stuck by her through the dark days. And it's the the, the moral structure of that story is what I need sometimes when you know, when I'm tired, when life is awful, when things aren't going right, when I feel that virtue won't be rewarded. And it reminds me that at least in fiction, fiction, virtue will be rewarded. So that's the sort of thing I'm looking for in a reread is something where it can remind me of things that I want to be true. That's perfect. I actually completely get what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So you've got two books on the rereads list. And do you want to take us through them? 
Okay, so the first book on my list is Janelle M. Ferreira's uh, The Covert Captain or A Marriage of Equals, which is the first uh, lesbian Regency romance that I encountered that hit the, the sticking points that I look for in a Regency romance. And I want to say it's, it's not a perfect book. And, and I'm willing to say this out loud because I've said this directly to the author, um, that we, we have become friends since I read it. Uh, there are issues with point of view. There are some issues with structure. There are certain scenes that I felt, you know, would have been done better to be cut. But overall, the book has, it, it hits those points of what I want to be true about life. The, the, that you can go through hell in war and come out the other end and find somebody who will complete you. It, you know, you can enter an entirely new world of experience and find that it's exactly where you're going to be at home. The idea that, you know, so the, the, the second woman's brother, the, the army captain, that he can find his way through his prejudices to say, you know, what's important is that my sister is happy. And, more than that, it's not just the structure of the plot in this case, but the writing is just very solid. It it describes historical things, it describes the setting, it describes the the thoughts and the characters in ways that feel very emotionally true to me. And as a historian, the ways that feel historically true to me for the most part. And that's one of the things that I look for in historical fiction is that I do, that as a as an amateur historian myself, I'm not reading this book and constantly thinking, no, wrong, wrong. It didn't happen that way. People weren't like that. That's just wrong. You know, so that ruins a allegedly historical book for me. And and the cover captain absolutely avoids that. Uh, the author is very solid on getting the historical setting right, and then that allows me to enjoy the rest of the book. And the writing itself, I mean, I said, I, you know, I had some issues with how point of view was handled, but that's a technical thing. Technical bits in writing can be improved, but there's a certain essential core of how you handle words, how you handle language, that if an author's got it, they've got it. You can learn it, but it takes a lot of work. And it's, it's very similar to what I, I tell people at, at my job, my day job, which is writing investigation reports for um, failures in, in industrial production, <laughs> which seems like an odd thing to compare to fiction. But when we're hiring people, what I say is, if you give me a person who can think and can write, I can teach them biotech. You give me a person who knows biotech inside and out, but they can't think and they can't write, and I cannot do a thing with them. And I think a lot of the same thing goes for writing fiction, that if somebody has the core mechanics of how to express themselves well in language, you can teach them things like grammar and punctuation and point of view. But if somebody doesn't have that that instinct for, instinct's the wrong word, if they don't have that talent and that developed skill for writing beautiful language, that's a very hard thing to teach or to learn. So, so one of the things I love about The Covered Captain is that Janelle has that, that talent for just writing beautiful passages, for, for making you feel the story rather than having somebody explain to you what the story is. And that, that is another part of what goes into enabling me to just 
experience the story structure as an enjoyable experience um, without, you know, tripping over the book, as it were. I totally agree with you. The thing is, if if you're so immersed in the story uh, and feeling so much because the author's taking you there, you actually don't even pay that much attention. Well, I don't anyway. To like the missing comma or the preposition at the end of the sentence or whatever it is that's because I'm so drawn in. Yeah, and for me, it's it's if the if the writing is beautiful, I don't notice the writing. If the writing is clunky, then I'm constantly aware of the writing, and that's that's just a big thing for me. Um, and, and, you know, once I've noticed that writing is beautiful, then I can sit down and analyze. It's like, here's what they're doing. Here is how they're doing it. This, this is what I love about this writing. But ideally, when I'm, when I'm just reading the story for story, I should, it should be flowing through me. It should not be like it bowing and introducing itself to me and saying, hi, I am beautiful writing. <laughs> <laughs> I completely get it. So for, for people who don't know what the story is about, you want to just give a quick <laughs> overview? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, so this is your, um, well, I don't even want to say it's a typical Regency romance, but it, it, it's a Regency romance. You've got a woman who has been in disguise as a man in the uh, English army during the Napoleonic Wars and who has formed a intensely deep uh, friendship bond with her commanding officer. Um, and now the war is over and and she is, uh, you know, on half pay because not on active duty, and um, essentially being a house guest of her commanding officer, um, and meets his sister, who is this, you know, she's she's older, she's you know, quote on the shelf unquote, um, which by the way, that's why I picked the phrase on the shelf for one of my podcast episodes. <laughs> oh, that's uh, so cool. She, so she's expected uh, no longer to be marriageable, um, and and she is not interested in marriage. And it comes out eventually in the backstory that she had three older sisters who all got married, all got pregnant, and all died in childbirth. And she is terrified of what being married might do. It also comes out eventually in the backstory that she has also had um, romantic uh, affairs with women in boarding school, uh, and she knows her way around the... Uh, you know, the FF uh, uh, thing. And uh, all this comes out eventually. So you don't know it going in. As far as you know, she is, you know, this this uh, naive woman who is simply responding to a, you know, dashing romantic and, you know, marginally tragic uh, um, uh, army officer um, who has essentially come out of Waterloo with PTSD, which is very well portrayed in a realistic way without using anachronistic language, which, which I love. Um, anyway, so, so the two of them start falling in love and on, on the officers, uh, on the, uh, army retirees side, you know, she is, uh, you know, well aware that falling in love means possibly risking revealing her secret. And on the, the, the sister's side, it is, you know, she had sworn off marriage. She thought she was going to like, you know, she was done with that. She just settled in for being an old maid all her life. And now it's like, is this somebody she loves enough to risk what she thinks marriage means? And 
from there, the plot goes through the usual cycles of, you know, attraction and emitting the attraction and barriers being thrown in the way. And the barriers are multiple. They are misunderstandings, miscommunications. They are slowly rebuilding trust. They are, you know, the unfortunate scene of revealing the, the disguised woman's um, underlying gender. And and then working through the social reaction and and several other structural barriers you know it's 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 chock full it is a a a, a steeplechase of barriers to leap over and hurdle before you get to the the happily ever after ending um and and it is very well structured in that sense that that you know you keep thinking you're almost there and then something new gets thrown in um i i did want to say one thing that i thought the the aspect of the gender disguise was handled fairly well there was uh, you know some admission that you know there are other other experiences of gender disguise that people might have in this world and the main character is always fairly clearly uh internally female that she had chosen this this route for some specific pragmatic reasons to get away from home uh, to leave her old life behind um it is this is one of the places where the 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 point of view handling becomes a bit ambiguous because it isn't always clear who is thinking in what genders but uh, but overall i thought it was handled very nicely um anyway so so yes and in the end they have a happily ever after and they get married and and the uh you know the the army veteran is going to continue living as a man um for the rest of her life but she accepts that and that's just part of the whole package and that's that's very true to history you know there were couples like that where you know people went through their entire lives without their friends and neighbors realizing that both bodies underneath uh, were female in structure it's also available in audio narrated by violet dixon and i love the audiobook i actually prefer the audiobook to the textbook because Reading it, I found like the language is very dense for me. But if I had somebody narrating it to me, it was great. I didn't have a problem at all. So I'm not. I'm not Heather. I don't, uh, you know, <laughs> submerse myself in in the the dense kind of historical language. But <laughs> loved it. I completely agree. This is a great book. Thank you for spending your time with TLR. We rely on the support of listeners, patrons, and advertisers, so please click on our links to buy, check out the show notes to find our Patreon link, and support our advertisers. You are listening to the Lesbian Review Podcast. We bring you the best lesbian books, movies, and music reviews on thelesbianreview.com. Okay, Heather, what is your next one? So my second book, I loved for very many of the same reasons. This is Alyssa Cole's That Could Be Enough, which is a novella. It originally was written as part of a trio of novellas inspired by the musical Hamilton and telling the stories of uh, marginalized people around the Revolutionary War era. And her particular one is about a, a two black women. One of them is a secretary to um, Mrs. Hamilton. This is well after Hamilton's death, when Mrs. Hamilton is gathering up interviews 
with people who knew Hamilton to, to put together the comprehensive biography of his life. So Mercy is Mrs. Hamilton's secretary and is taking down interview notes for her. And one of the people who comes to tell stories about Hamilton's time in the army is Andromeda, whose grandfather fought under Hamilton. And she is a dressmaker in New York City. And the two of them, Mercy and Andromeda, it's like sparks fly. But again, very much like in The Covert Captain, they've got emotional barriers to you know, to, to immediately admitting their attraction. So Mercy has a background where she has had romantic uh, relationships with women before, and in every single case, they left her for a conventional life and marriage to a man and basically told her, you know, you're, you're, you're a dreamer, you're being silly, you know, this will never work, you know, give up and be conventional. And so she has kind of shut down all of her emotions and said, you know, I will, I will never love again. I will just, you know, put one foot in front of the other and get through life. And Andromeda is very free-spirited and open with her life. Um, she's, she's a very urban person and living in an environment where con- unconventional lives are a little bit more um, taken, you know, accepted. And so she is attracted to Mercy, but first sees her as sort of a challenge. It's like, you know, can I get a reaction out of this woman? You know, she's clearly so, you know, stick up her ass t- uptight. And, and yet I can tell she's attracted to me and I want to make her admit it. And through various interactions, so um, the, the, the interview isn't done. And so Mercy has to go into New York to finish the interview with Andromeda. Excuse me. <coughs> and they interact some more. And Andromeda, you know, takes her around on a tour of some of the neighborhoods that she hangs out in and, you know, starts getting her to open up. And... They are definitely falling for each other. And then we throw in a couple of, you know, again, structural barriers to cause misunderstandings and uh, heartbreak and and draw out the conclusion until they finally, in fact, you know, fall in love and move in together and have happily ever after. So what I loved about this book is, again, well, first of all, masterful language. Alyssa Cole is a really talented writer and and the writing is as smooth as well-aged brandy and again the historical grounding is is very very solid um historical stories are one of Alyssa's uh specialties she's got entire series set in the american civil war she's got stories set in the american revolutionary war and she has she has done her groundwork and she knows um she knows the territory and and she is just perfect at laying it out for you without a lot of CC, look how much research I've done, which is, you know, one of the faults that can show up in historical fiction. So again, it is the the smoothness of the language context. You know, I, I, I'm going to be swimming in this beautiful language and not even notice it. And the structure of the story where there are not idiot plot points where like if they'd only talked they would get through this and it's it's funny because i have seen other readers comment that the misunderstanding where uh, mercy reads something a personal paper of of andromeda's and uh thinks that andromeda is engaged to marry a man 
and thinks that she's been lied to and, and the same thing's going to happen all over again. And, you know, okay, this is the end of it. It's like, you know, fooled me once, but, but never, never again. And so she shuts down and, and just says, you know, go away. This is off. Um, and I've, I have seen other readers say, well, but that is an idiot plot point. You know, why, why not talk? Why not just open up and say, you know, look, I saw this, this piece of paper and I shouldn't have read it, but I did. And can you explain this to me? And the thing is, for me, Mercy's reaction was completely expected and normal, where it's like, if you have been kicked in the teeth multiple times before, and you see that boot coming towards your mouth again, you know what? You're going to say, oh, wait, maybe you are just doing ballet in front of me. Uh, and it, it, it made sense to me. It is the reaction I would have had in Mercy's place. And that is why it felt so right to me and, and why I enjoyed that as a romantic, you know, barrier. Because the way they came through it, the way they they did eventually work past it and come back together again, felt so much more real to me because that reaction was very real to me. So um, let's see. I, I absolutely loved how Alyssa handled the racial aspects of the story, that they are very foregrounded without being, you know, artificially you know, pointed at. And of course, Alyssa Cole is black herself, and most of her stories are about uh, characters of color um, in historic situations. And so this is, this is like, you know, her, her, uh, her jam. Uh, and she does it very, very well. And I really love seeing that kind of diversity in the romance market, uh, especially the historic romance market. Yeah, great. A great book. <laughs> okay, so if uh, listeners are listening to this and they decide, you know, Heather sounds like exactly the kind of person I want to follow because she's got all these great recommendations, where can they find you online? Well, the best one-stop shop to find me online is my website, which is alpenia.com. A-L-P-E-N-N-I-A, after the invented country that my novels are set in. And I am very active on Twitter. I am present, but not quite as active on Facebook. I find that Facebook, I use Facebook more for, for personal friends, you know, face-to-face -face friends. And I'm present in the, the book spaces, but they, they don't work well for me as a place to be an author. Um, and I have a blog. And if you really want to learn more about me and my writing and what I'm working on and everything I'm doing and my research, then read my blog, which is on my website. And I have a podcast, which is the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, which is presenting things from my historic research and talking about uh, FF historical fiction. And I will add links in the show notes to all of the places you can find Heather online in case you're wondering. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me on to talk about some of my favorite reads. Thank you for tuning into the special TLR podcast series, where we have been chatting about our favorite rereads. Please make sure to use our buy links for Amazon, or become a patron. Using our buy links gives us a small commission on purchases you make on Amazon within 24 hours of clicking the link. Becoming a patron means you get exclusive content. Go to patreon.com slash the lesbian review for more.